Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is attorney Todd Schrader with the Schrader and Lau Law Firm in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Schrader and Lau provide focused and dedicated representation to La Crosse area defendants. I began the interview by asking Todd about himself and his firm. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin and kind of knew pretty early on that I wanted to be an attorney. I, I knew in high school that I wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer. But when I got there, I really had very little idea as to what kind of an attorney I wanted to be. And I didn't have very good direction as far as what that would look like. And fortunately, during my last year of law school, I, I took a class, a public defender class, and there was a professor that just really was instrumental in in helping me be interested in criminal defense. She just really helped me see that it can be about defending a person and, and a human being and not just defending against a criminal allegation. And since then, I've just been really very into what goes on in criminal defense and just learning about people and learning about stories and trying to be better at understanding why things like that happen. And it just really uh, took off from there. And I've been doing criminal defense ever since. And then I also gravitated towards uh, OWI defense in Wisconsin. It's OWI, mm -hmm. commonly known as drug driving defense or DUI defense. And I've really liked that just due to the science involved. There's just a lot of science involved with DUI, OWI cases. And I found that to be challenging and just really thought I found that I somewhat have a knack with understanding and also explaining kind of the science behind the OWI cases. Well, you kind of touched a little bit on my next question here, but um, um, what should I expect from a good OWI defense lawyer? And really it's about doing kind of the tedious work from the beginning to the end in every single case and hoping that you find a way to defend the case. And, and really, it requires that the attorney know about the science behind the field sobriety tests, the blood testing, the breath testing, obviously the, the law about what law enforcement can and cannot do, as well as what the law is regarding the cases. So it's really, at times, very tedious work, but the attorney really has to be experienced and also be willing to to really dig into the entire investigation to try to find flaws, essentially. Tell me, what happens after a person is arrested? Well, it depends. Uh, if it's a first offense, oftentimes they can be given a ticket, just like a speeding ticket, and sent on their way. Usually they have to find a sober person to come pick them up, an adult that's sober that will come pick them up. Unfortunately, if they can't find that, then they may have to stay in jail until they get to be below a certain blood alcohol concentration. If it's a second or subsequent offense where it's criminal, then they could have to post cash to get out and then they remain in jail until their court date. And if it's a felony, then they often will remain in jail until their court date, which is usually 24 to 72 hours after the arrest. So what are the penalties for... A DUI first. A first, Wisconsin is the only state in the country, I believe, that does not criminalize the first offense OWI. So it's non-criminal. The penalties are a license revocation of six to nine months, 
a fine of approximately a thousand dollars, give or take uh, a couple hundred, depending on the BAC, the blood alcohol concentration, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's a requirement to get an alcohol assessment and comply with about a, a 20 hour course in order to get your license back. So in a, in a nutshell, that's all there is. It's, it's, a, it's a fine and then a, a big inconvenience of losing your license for six to nine months. How about a second? A second offense is criminal. So then there's jail involved. The minimum jail on a second offense is five days. The maximum, the maximum is six months. However, the the courts go by guidelines, and typically you're looking at between about five and thirty days jail, depending on where your blood alcohol concentration was. And then there's a twelve to eighteen month license revocation. Big difference between a second to a, and a first on the license revocation is on a second, there's also a 45-day waiting period before you can get an occupational license. So there's 45 days where you simply can't drive at all. How about third and above? Is that considered felony OWI? Uh, a third offense is not. So a, a fourth offense becomes a felony. So a okay. third offense, just kind of gradually everything gets worse, more jail time, more license revocation, but it's still a, a misdemeanor. And then on a fourth offense, it becomes a felony. Okay. Okay. Well, let's focus on a DUI first or OWI first with, with this question. Is, is there a way uh, a person can be found not guilty? And there is, but it really depends on the circumstances. So obviously mm -hmm. what that requires is that a jury believe that there's not reasonable doubt because it's not criminal, but they, they have reason to doubt whether or not the person was driving or whether or not the person was impaired or above a legal limit at the time of driving. It usually comes down to issues with the testing process, questions that remain open with the test, because usually by the time the case comes to my office, we've got a test that's above the legal limit. We've had an officer that says, in my opinion, the person was impaired, because if those things didn't happen, then they wouldn't have been arrested to begin with generally. They're not easy cases to win, and they're not high probability, not guilty verdicts, but they are cases that they are won a, a substantial amount of the time if if the attorney knows. It requires luck and an attorney that really knows what to look for. Right, exactly, exactly. How much are uh, protocol mistakes that uh, the police make, uh, how much does that play into the defense? More common, I would say, if they make a significant mistake, then we can get evidence suppressed, and oftentimes then the case won't even go to trial. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing we try to do. But there are mistakes that a jury will look at and say, I'm not sure I want to commit this person, either because they believe the officer was was dishonest, and that can often lead to an, an, a not guilty verdict. If a, if a jury says, I don't believe that the officer was honest in this case, Sometimes they're willing to overlook some incriminating evidence because they don't want to essentially give the okay to the officer that they believe wasn't being honest. And then often you can have just kind of sloppiness on the part of, of law enforcement as well, where they don't cross their T's or dot their I's. And that makes it a lot easier to argue that how can we be, how can we rely on the officer's opinion if they're not uh, crossing their T's and dotting their I's? What kind of mistakes do cops make with OWI arrests? 
the biggest mistake is did they have reason did they have the right did they have reason to, to have contact with the individual to begin with? And a lot of times there'll be an issue was the stop valid or wasn't it valid? But then the second question is, well, did they have reasonable suspicion to take them out of the car and have them go through this humiliating process of an OWI investigation? And that's really where I think the cases that that go away, I think I've, I've been most successful at showing that that never should have happened. They really never had any reason to, to truly suspect this person was impaired, even if they admitted they had a beer earlier in the evening or something like that. Uh, otherwise, common mistakes would be not just really missing steps in the process. I've had law enforcement ask for PBTs before they did the field sobriety tests, which can result in essentially at that point, everything goes away. So, or just not reading the right paperwork at the right time. So they got the blood test, but they, they didn't get it uh, the way the law says they should. Maybe they told the defendant something that wasn't true or didn't tell them something they were supposed to tell them. The roadside tests, uh, what do they include in Wisconsin? Well, they're the same tests as every law enforcement agency in the country learns. So the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the field sobriety tests, where they're doing these three tests that everybody has probably seen in some way, shape or form, where they're kind of looking at your eyes and then having you walk the walk a line, nine steps there and back on a, a line that's the walk and turn and then stand on one foot. And what people don't realize, because very often people come to me and say, I think those tests went pretty well because they think that they balanced and they didn't fall over or really have any significant stumbling issues. Whereas law enforcement is looking for a lot of fairly small things that people wouldn't necessarily know that they're looking for. And for example, with the walk and turn, there's eight different clues that they're looking for. And if you see two of them, then the officer is trained to arrest based on that. So a lot of times there's what I refer to as kind of the technical failure where the law enforcement officer says you failed the tests, but if I show them to the jury, the jury says, gee, they look like they did a pretty good job on the tests. And then you have the obvious failures where people are falling over or not not able to walk anywhere near a straight line. And you don't need to know anything about field sobriety tests to say this person probably had too much to drink to be driving. Is there a breath test? There is. There's a, a preliminary breath test, which is basically it's it's odd. It's not admissible in any court to prove guilt, but it is admissible to show probable cause. So the officers have the option of requesting a preliminary breath test after they do the field sobriety test. The field sobriety tests, can a person refuse those? They can't. They have the right to refuse them, but the case law has said that officers are allowed to consider that as consciousness of guilt and make an arrest decision based on the person's refusal. So it's it's a little bit complicated, but it's not considered speech. So basically, they say refusing them is not the same as saying I don't want to answer any questions. And therefore, the officer can consider the fact that they chose not to do the tests and from that can conclude the reason they didn't do them is because they knew they would do well on them. And from that can get a probable cause. So they do have a right to refuse, but it's very likely going to lead to an arrest immediately after they refuse. Would it help a person's case if they refuse? 
Well, it depends how they would have done on the field sobriety test. Right, right. And that's really what it comes down to because oftentimes if they're a refusal is very explainable. Some people, I, I mean, nobody would like to be on the middle of a busy road at 10 o'clock at night doing those kind of tests and it's cold and they have places to go. So I think the jury can understand why somebody wouldn't want to do the tests. Uh, so I would say refusing them is sometimes a good thing if the result would have been bad field sobriety tests. But again, it's very likely to lead to an arrest. So I would have a hard time advising somebody to refuse the tests. I think you alluded to another test. Does that happen when I'm taken to jail then? or And what is that other test? So there is a blood or a breath test, which is the evidentiary test that is admissible in court. And once the person's placed under arrest, then law enforcement reads them a notice and asks to submit to a blood or a breath test. The chemical test, do I have to submit to that? And that's a very common question that is probably one of the most common questions I get. But the law says you do not have to submit to the chemical test, in, meaning you have a Fourth Amendment right not to. They can't do anything to you criminally. However, you will if you refuse the test, then you lose your license for on a first case. You refuse if you refuse on a first defense you lose your license for a year, which is longer than you would if you'd submitted the test and were found guilty of the OWI. So it's often unwise to refuse the test because you're going to have, now you have to defend not only a, an OWI, but you also have to defend a refusal. And then the other problem is law enforcement can almost always get the test anyway by getting a warrant and then they can take your take your blood even if you're refusing and if they go through that process after you refused you're still facing the refusal and the OWI and they have the blood so it's within your right to refuse but it's often a bad idea because you end up they end up getting the evidence but now you're facing stiffer penalties prescription meds and marijuana how hard is that to prove First of all, it's, it's illegal to drive while impaired under prescription medication. So a lot of times people say, well, I wasn't drunk, it's my medication. And I say, well, that's illegal as well. Having said that, I don't remember the last time I had somebody convicted of operating with a pre prescription medication. The burden, of, it's much more difficult to prove that somebody's having a reaction to their prescription medication than that somebody's drunk. And it re just requires a lot more expert testimony. It requires more information than we usually have by the arresting officer. So it is illegal to drive with a prescription medication if you're impaired by that, but it's also a much more difficult case. It's, it's a case where I would almost always recommend get an attorney and fight this because it's, it's going to be a difficult case for the state to prove. Okay. Uh, THC is is different because right now the law with THC is that it's a, a restricted controlled substance, meaning in this state, if you if they find the active component of THC in your system, then you're guilty of of operating. It, they don't have to prove impairment. So basically, it's like having a 0 0.08 or above alcohol limit, even if you're not impaired. So those cases are much easier to prove if they can show that this test was done properly and, and we have a positive THC value. Doesn't uh, 
THC uh, remain in the system for quite a while? Uh, what part does that play? That's a very good question. There's Delta-9 THC, which is the active component, which is what causes people to, to get high on, on marijuana. That can stay in your system for hours, up to 12, perhaps longer, uh, for a number of hours. But what most people think about where it's always in your system or it's in your system for weeks or even a month, those are the metabolites. And those, it is not illegal to have that in your system when driving. So the test will distinguish I see. the active okay. component and the metabolites that will remain in your system for a long time. Plea bargains, how many... Uh... How many cases uh, that you handle? How, how many plea out? Statistically, a vast majority plead out. And that's mm-hmm. mainly because it's frustrating because the, the difference between entering a plea and like walking in and pleading guilty, there's usually not a lot of middle ground on an OWI first. You're either going to get convicted and, and get your license taken away and have to pay a fine or you're going to not be convicted of an OWI. So there's, as far as plea negotiations, prosecutors are are uh, basically trained not to reduce OWIs unless they believe they cannot prove them. And there are laws where there, there's a specific statute in Wisconsin that says the state shall not dismiss or reduce an OWI unless we put a bunch of, basically put the reasoning on the record and get the approval from the judge and that's something that doesn't apply to somebody that gets in a bar fight and basically causes serious injury to another person and gets a felony. So they are one of the more difficult cases to resolve by plea agreement just because there's not much of a middle ground. Having said that, they are also the type of cases where occasionally you look at the video and you look at the test result and you tell your client, we can roll the dice at trial. You're not going to be a lot worse off. But it very well might just be a big waste of time and money on both of our parts. Final question. If I plan on pleading guilty, I'm racked with guilt. I want, I just want to plead guilty. Uh, do I still need a defense attorney? And that's the first, when clients call me, that's the first thing I tell them is if it's a first defense OWI, that's the biggest decision you have to make. Do I want to hire an attorney and, and, try to fight this or do I just walk in and plead guilty because there's there's not a lot of middle ground uh, and I think it's, it's very reasonable to answer those questions in, in two different ways and the thing is if you walk in and plead guilty you're going to be convicted of the OWI there's really no way the prosecutor is going to say I've looked very carefully at your case and I don't think you did this so I'm not going to accept your plea so you're just going to be convicted but um, if you hire an attorney there's a reasonable chance you're going to be convicted as well, uh, but there's a chance that you're not going to be convicted. So really, it's a, a personal decision. This is how much it costs to hire an attorney. This is the emotional involvement that I'm going to have to put in as well. But at the end of the day, I might get the case thrown out or I might be right where I would have been if I walked in and pled guilty uh, at the initial appearance. So it's a personal decision and and it's, it's really... Uh, you have to ask yourself, what is, what's the value of lessening the chance of a conviction, even knowing that I might ultimately be convicted at the end of the day? If it's a subsequent, like a criminal charge, I always say you really need to have an attorney because you can get the jail time reduced. And even if you're not going to avoid the conviction, there's more middle ground on a, on a criminal OWI than on a f- first offense. 
Our thanks to attorney Todd Schrader with the Schrader and Lau Law Firm in La Crosse, Wisconsin, for being our guest on Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. His phone number is 608-784-8055, and his website is lacrossecriminaldefense.com.